welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender diverse people produced at 3CR Community Radio in Naham, Melbourne, and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. We're talking about people in the prison system who are overwhelmingly come from poverty, come from trauma, uh, self-medicating for that trauma, come from communities that have been absolutely ripped apart by colonisation. This impacts Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people far more than, than everybody else. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the stolen land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past and present, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. This week on the program, we take a deep dive into Victoria's parole system. We'll hear an interview by 3CR broadcaster Priya Kunjan with Karen Fletcher, Executive Officer of Flat Out, about how compounding and increasing systemic difficulties in accessing parole impact incarcerated people in Victoria. Then we'll hear an interview by Marissa from 3CR's Do and Time show with Sarah Schwartz, manager of the Wirraway Police and Prison Accountability Practice at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and lecturer at Melbourne Law School about the upcoming coronial inquest into the 2021 death in custody of Yamachi, Noongar, Wongai and Pichinjara woman Heather Calgarrett. This is Priya speaking with Karen Fletcher now. Let's start off by talking a bit about the parole system in Victoria and the application of non-parole periods. So I understand some listeners might be less familiar with what non-parole periods and parole eligibility means. So could you maybe break down these terms and their stated functions? Sure. So parole is actually a part of a person's sentence. When a person is sentenced, if they're sentenced to two years or over, the, the court has to make a non-parole period um, which is the period that they have to stay within the prison. And then parole, the parole period is a period that they spend in the community but under strict conditions that are um, imposed and supervised by uh, Victoria Corrections, so community corrections officers. Some people would call them parole officers. Um, so it's actually part of the sentence. Yeah, and I think this is uh, important to to sort of contextualise the conversation um, because it's not that, you know, it's not that somebody uh, has, has finished their, their custodial sentence, but, uh, you know, they're still sort of under the, the supervision and oversight of, of the state um, while out in the community. But um, as we're going to discuss, this is complicated by uh, the nature of the parole laws in Victoria. So Flat Out is one of a select few organisations um, and part of a growing chorus of independent voices of people with experiences of incarceration and their supporters that have been raising serious concerns about the parole system in Victoria. How does the parole board here operate in terms of the transparency of the process, the frequency of successful applications? Because I understand this has fallen pretty drastically over the past decade or so. Yes, access to parole has become extremely difficult in Victoria due to a, a number of um, changes that have been made, you know, sort of law and order style politics policies that have really reduced access to parole. It used to be that sort of a quarter of people leaving prison were leaving on parole. Um, as, lo- as recently as sort of 2006, um, and now it's less than 4% who are actually uh, leaving prison on parole. It's become extremely difficult to access. Um, and yeah, the parole board, the parole decision-making process has become more and more of a black box, uh, difficult for people in prison to know how to access 
an application for parole. It used to be that it was automatic that people would be considered for parole on their eligibility date. Uh, now there's a, just a very opaque process uh, and a lot of people in prison uh, you really don't even have information about how to, to apply or are told that there's no point applying. Um, so it's become less and less likely for people to be released on parole and to do their full time in mm. the prison. Yeah, and, and I, I understand that at some point in time there was a, a move from the automatic consideration um, for parole to now a process where people have to apply. Is that correct? That's right. That was a change that was made in 20, 2013. Um, there was a very high-profile murder of Jill Ma in September 2012, and that resulted in the Napsan government uh, commissioning the Callanan Review, uh, which was a um, uh, resulted in a crackdown on parole. And one of the recommendations of Callanan that was implemented was that there should be no automatic consideration for parole on the eligibility date. People would have to apply. Uh, and the result of that has been um, that there have been a lot of people who haven't even applied, partly because they are not really made to understand the process or they're told by prison officers or corrections that they've got no chance, so mm. no need to apply. Um, perhaps also because, you know, so many people in prison have got, uh, you know, literacy issues, language issues, psychosocial issues. Um, so without a lot of support, which is not available, um, they're, you know, not in a position to do the extremely complicated um, paperwork mm. that's involved in, in making an application for parole. Yeah, and I can imagine just sharing information between other people that are incarcerated and understanding that people's applications have been knocked back acts as a, you know, a, a disincentivizing force there too. Now, I wanted to touch on the intersection of the parole system with Australia's rolling housing crisis because Flatouts had a central involvement in the Homes Not Prisons campaign that some of our listeners might be familiar with. And I understand one of the key preconditions of release on parole is that a person has access to, quote, suitable and stable accommodation, end quote. But how does housing availability and affordability impact the women that Flatout supports? Yes, well, I mean, our mission... Our role is that we support women, trans and gender diverse people to get out and stay out of prison. Parole is one way that, um, you know, people can get out of prison. It's a pretty difficult um, way because when you're under parole conditions, you're still under sentence, still supervised, and the conditions that people have on parole are uh, extraordinary, you know, in terms of these days mostly wearing an ankle bracelet and the constant sort of surveillance uh, under curfew, um, and you know, a lot of people actually can't make it through that process. We we, we support uh, folks who have, you know, appointments every day as co- as conditions of their parole, plus the ankle black bracelet and the curfews and all sorts of, of requirements, which makes it very difficult. But the single, probably single most um, uh, important factor that's r- reducing people's access to parole is that yeah, it's, there's a requirement since the Callanan Review that people have suitable and stable accommodation. And with the housing crisis, uh, there is no suitable and stable accommodation. Um, you know, we've got this waiting list of more than 100,000 individuals for public housing, and really public housing is the only affordable housing uh, for people coming out of prison. Um, and 
you know, the other sort of accommodation options that are available are neither suitable nor stable. You know, they're not allowed to go to a rooming house or a crummy motel, which is the kind of accommodation that most people coming out of prison have as their only option. Mm. They can't couch surf or, or stay, you know, back in a, the violent home or the, or the circumstances that they were in um, might have led to, you know, what's ended them up in prison. Um, and so uh, they're just not eligible. So the housing crisis is basically meaning... It's a big reason why the prison population just keeps growing and growing. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is this, you know, it's this horrible double bind that people who are incarcerated in this state are, are put into because uh, you might apply for parole and you don't have access to affordable housing. And, and many, many people who are incarcerated are in poverty, who are that are on social security payments. And when they come out, you know, it's not like they've had the opportunity to build up a great amount of savings for bond. But also there are these requirements around um, where they can live, who they can live with. And then the option is you get knocked back for parole. And when you get to the end of your sentence, then you just get turfed out onto the street. And it doesn't really matter to the prison where you go. Right, on the street or back into, you know, a violent uh, relationship or um, home um, at the end of the sentence. And, and yes, that's that's the absolute irony of this, that there's all this attention paid to, you know, people's eligibility for parole from the point of view of community safety, but no consideration of um, what happens to people when they're released at their full time. So instead of doing their three years, they'll do this, you know, and released on parole, they'll do their full six years an extra three years in prison and at the end of that time, homeless um, mm. and without support. I mean, the, one of the ironies here is that parole was supposed to be, you know, in this in this system uh, about improving community safety by providing people with a sort of transition out of prison with, with help, um, particularly to get housed uh, and to, you know, find a, a livable source of income uh, and all the things that you know, give people the best chance of actually establishing themselves in the community. Um, but, you know, the, the actual result is that people are just doing longer in the prison system and then uh, and that support is just not available, the housing's not available. Um, so it is a huge issue for the people mm. themselves who've been in prison but for the community as well. Yeah. I, I should also say, you know, that parole is um, becoming less and less um, of an option for people in prison because of what I was saying about the you know, very um, uh, sort of onerous conditions that people live under when they're on parole. Uh, and so many people are returned to prison from parole because they break a curfew or, you know, have a drink when they're, they're on a no drinking condition or, you know, small sort of things that send them back up in prison. Um, but for women and, and for trans people in particular, any chance to get out of the prison system because the prison system is just so horrific and harmful um, is important. And, th- and that's why we uh, you know, are calling for um, fair, better and fairer uh, systems of parole and um, availability of parole housing. Mm. Uh, and for women in particular who are, you know, many, many, the majority are parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a chance to get back to their children. And that's a, a, we see, what we see is a lot of the time, that's why women are prepared to undergo this incredible process uh, just to try to be reunited and safe and together with their children um, in the community. Yeah, absolutely. It's 
Um, I mean, and then, you know, this this feeds uh, violence and harm downstream as well. If, if um, you know, mums are kept away from their families, children can be then arbitrarily removed from their custody. Um, now, I want to come back to something that you, you touched on there about looking at, you know, changes to the parole system or uh, that, that might you know, improve outcomes for people that are really suffering under this regime. So when it comes to the question of prison reform, organizations like Flat Out work from an abolitionist theory of change. And so you'll no doubt be very attentive to the need for amendments that don't really perpetuate or entrench the structural violence of the criminal legal system. In view of that, what kind of changes would you like to see in Victoria's parole system that kind of align with this approach and don't end up uh, accidentally taking us backwards? Very important question. Of course, yes, we are an abolitionist organisation and we recognise that the prison system itself is causing enormous harm to the people who are in it and to the whole community. Um, so it's very important to have a look at this from the perspective of how do we actually reduce the use of imprisonment and eventually, uh, you know, create alternatives to imprisonment. And look, the key issue here is that the biggest block to um, parole and to any form of successful release from prison is the availability of housing. That's why we were, you know, founding and involved in the Homes Not Prisons campaign. That's why we're involved in the campaign against the demolition of the public housing towers. Um, Housing is the number one issue if we're going to actually provide alternatives to imprisonment because people need a place to live um, that's safe um, and they need a, you know, a livable source of income. Um, We're talking about people in the prison system who are overwhelmingly come from poverty, come from trauma, uh, self-medicating for that trauma, come from communities that have been absolutely ripped apart by colonisation. This impacts Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people far more than, than everybody else because you know, they're much more likely to be homeless when they go into prison, much more likely to be homeless when they come out um, and to have come from communities that, are, as I said, you know, have had children removed, has had enormous intergenerational trauma. Um, any uh, real uh, um, efforts to reduce incarceration and reduce um, harm in the community from um, it just requires a huge investment in housing. Um, uh, if, if there was housing available and we could do our job, which is to help people to get out and stay out of prison, um, we would see prison populations reduce enormously. And that's our goal. Mm, Absolutely. And, you know, I guess looking at these sort of uh, challenging, these these structural violences, it is a, it's a big ask. um, But the the theory uh, of change underpinning this work, um, trying to make sure that we're reducing prison populations over time and actually supporting people to stay connected in their communities. Um, it really seems to be doing the important work that prisons claim their rehabilitative function uh, performs, and yet... Um, we we know the sort of consequences of how the system actually works. Uh, Karen, well, there's the ultimate yeah. irony here, right? Because the parole system is supposed to be about that. It's supposed to be about uh, giving people the opportunity to resettle in the community safely. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's not fulfilling that function because there just isn't the uh, support there for people, you know, to, to be able to live safe lives, re-establish themselves, get a house, 
uh, look after their kids, be safe and together, re, you know, recontact with their community, build their community. And it's not just the case in Victoria. That's the case where, you know, mm. in the Northern Territory where we're seeing these issues. Um, the prisons themselves are just churning through, um, you know, uh, people in absolutely impossible situations and providing no um, answers to those. When the answer's staring us in the face, housing, support, you know, livable incomes, childcare, healthcare, mm-hmm. you know, access to non-judgmental, non-surveilling healthcare for people who, have, who are self-medicating with alcohol or drugs. These things are the actual, um, you know, ways forward um, for dealing with the social issues that people are, you know, quite, we're all concerned about. Uh, and yet we still keep on going back to this thing of trapping people into an institution which is more harmful, more violent, um, and, you know, criminogenic. Women on the Line. On community radio around so-called Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. This week on the program, we are exploring the issue of parole in Victoria. You just heard an interview by 3CR broadcaster Priya Kunjan with Karen Fletcher, Executive Officer of Flat Out. Next, we'll hear Marissa of 3CR's Do In Time show speaking with Sarah Schwartz about the upcoming coronial inquest into the death in custody of Yamachi, Noongar, Wongai and Pichinjara woman Heather Calgarrett. This is Marissa now. We're going to be speaking pretty soon with Sarah Schwartz. Sarah manages the Wirraway Police and Prison Accountability Practice at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and is a lecturer at Melbourne Law School. And I wanted to speak with Sarah um, just a little bit about what's happening with the parole system and prison healthcare. And I wanted to speak to her today about Heather, Heather as well and how she died in custody. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the program. Hi, Marissa. Thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to have you. Thanks for for coming on. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and and a little bit about the practice that that you're managing? Yeah, sure. Um, So my name's Sarah Schwartz. I um, manage the Wiraway Police and Prison Accountability Practice at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Um, So we do everything ranging from... um, actions against the police and prisons, um, trying to get um, better uh, people's uh, rights protected in prison um, and coronial inquest into Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander deaths in police or prison custody. Um, we, work, we work with um, quite a few families of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who've passed away in, in custody. Um, currently we're representing... We um, have previously represented the family of Veronica Nelson... Um, who passed away in custody in January 2020. I'm sure many listeners have heard of her story. Um, and just today, we were in court um, for the coronial inquest into the passing of Heather Calgarrett, um, who passed away in custody just two years, less than two years after Veronica passed away. And um, her inquest also raises issues of um, prison health care and parole, which I know you guys wanted to speak about. The directions hearing for Heather Calgarrett was today, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, we had the directions hearing which um, set the scope for the coronial inquest um, and um, Heather's family who have been, you know, waiting for answers and justice for um, many years now um, have um, were successful in arguing for the scope of the inquest to also include um, her parole application 
So, you know, Heather passed away in November 2021. She'd been eligible for parole since December 2020. Um, and, um, and if she'd been granted parole, she wouldn't have been in prison. Um, and so her family have been fighting, you know, for answers about why she wasn't granted parole and what happened with her parole application. You know, and, and Heather's story really reflects so many other stories that we hear at Vowles and for women in prison um, who, you know, aren't granted parole um, for reasons like delays, like not having appropriate housing outside. And um, Victoria's parole system is one of the harshest um, in the country and has meant that so many um, more people, especially Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, are just um, languishing behind bars when they could be in community. That's really fantastic that you were able to explain how the parole system encourages deaths in custody and the horrors of, you know, the violations of human rights of um, women in prison? Yeah. So, I mean, Victoria's parole system was um, was changed in, you know, there were a number of changes between 2011 and 2016, um, which made it a lot harder for people to access parole. Um, and after, since that time, there's been a 44% decrease in the number of people on parole. You know, we, we think of people all the time who, you know, either have chosen not to apply for parole because it's too difficult or because, or they've been refused parole because they don't have access to proper housing, um, or they, um, or they don't have access to the supports that they need, or they don't have access to the programs in prison that the parole board has told them that they need to do to be eligible for parole. So it just means that so many people, um, are, you know, staying in prison where the whole purpose of parole is so people, you know, are released from custody early so that they can be in community, um, which supports their rehabilitation and people aren't, just aren't getting access to that and they're just, staying in custody for longer. So specifically, Heather Calgarrett died at Sunshine Hospital. How did she end up in there? So the coronial inquest into Heather's passing is going to start on the 29th of April, so we'll get a lot more details um, then. But, you know, Heather, um, we know already um, from what the court has told the public that... um, Heather um, received a um, injection of buprenorphin um, the day before she was found unconscious at Dame Phyllis Frost Centre. She was found by her sister, um, Suzanne Calgarrett, who's been a really powerful advocate for her. Um, and so the coronial inquest is going to look at, you know, the appropriateness of her health care that she was provided in custody, her mental health care, um, and also at this parole issue. Yeah, and in fact, she, she comes from quite a few lands, doesn't she? She's a very proud Noongar woman and Pitinjara woman as well. Yeah, Heather Calgarit's um, proud Yamatji, Noongar, Wongai and Pitinjara woman. Um, and, you know, her family, they've released some statements today which I'd really urge people to read, you know, speaking about how much she loved her culture, how much she enjoyed painting and writing and, um, you know, had a, a really amazing sense of humour and was the rock of her family was always helping and caring for everyone. Um, and her family's made really beautiful statements about her, her mum, Auntie Jenny Calgarrett, and her sister, Suzanne Calgarrett. The Do and Time show has a very long history of, of reading statements out by the loved ones of people that have died in custody, and, and we will continue to do so. And we've also had a history of interviewing people from Vowels as well. 
So, Sarah, I am so happy that that you've come onto the show, and I wanted to really honour um, the fact that, that that you're here and that you're helping to to actually broadcast media that is not broadcasted in the mainstream. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Marissa, and thanks for the Doing Time show. You guys do such awesome work. And, um, yeah, as you say, it's just so important that these stories are told, that Heather's stories told, that other um, people who've died in custody, that their stories are told, you know. We don't, um, we rarely hear about systems like the parole system and the prison healthcare system, and we know that these are really corrupt systems that are in crisis and are just leading to death behind bars. So, so important that your show is uplifting those stories. Well, you've emailed me a list of inquests that I'd really like to work through over the year with with you. Um, And and just to talk about those, I mean, obviously we can't talk um, if there's, you know, if, if they're in progress, we can't talk in detail. But obviously when those findings happen, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're, we're a bit limited in what we can say while the inquests are going on, yeah. but um, there are quite a few coronial inquests that we're um, waiting for findings on. So um, the passing of um, Michael Suckling, who passed away at Ravenhall, um, whose inquest was last year. Um, the passing of um, Narisha Cash, who passed away um, whilst waiting for police to attend her house. are so just some of the inquest findings that we are waiting for um, in, in the inquest findings into people who've died in police or prison custody or after police contact. Absolutely, and, and it's it's good that this inquest with um, Heather Calgarrett, that's starting on the 29th of April, and that will run for a couple of months? It will run for about three weeks um, uh, from the 29th of April, maybe extended. Um, yeah, and it's going to really tackle those um, those big issues of um, healthcare and um, parole, and and you know the reasons why Heather passed away in custody. Sarah, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Is there anything else that you'd like to add b- before we finish? I just want to, um, I guess, pay tribute to Heather's family in their fight for justice. Um, you know, there have been um, over 560 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who've died in custody since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. Um, And, you know, families, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families continue to show up and fight for justice for their loved ones. Um, And also just want to do a shout-out to the Dajua Foundation and other organisations who support and work with those families um, and you know, continue to really fight for justice and for an end to Aboriginal deaths in custody. Indeed, and that's a really important foundation. You just heard an interview with Marissa from 3CR's Doin' Time show with Sarah Schwartz from February 26, discussing Aboriginal deaths in custody and the upcoming coronial inquest into the death of Nyamachi, Noongar, Wongai and Pichinjara woman Heather Calgarrett in November 2021. You can find the statement released by Heather's family. Uh, We'll link to it on the webpage for today's show. That's 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. Earlier in the program, we had an interview by 3CR broadcaster Priya Kunjan with Karen Fletcher, Executive Officer of Flat Out, exploring the increasing and compounding barriers to accessing parole in Victoria. And that's all for Women on the Line today. 
Women on the Line is a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender diverse people. This program was produced in Nam, Melbourne, with the amazing support of 3CR staff, so a big thank you to them. Women on the Line is broadcast across so-called Australia on the Community Radio Network, and we greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. If you'd like more information about today's program or to listen to the show again, you can find what you need on the Women on the Line website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Guevara. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time.